Joining us now on the Payless Liquors guest line, as he does seemingly each and every week. Last time it was to mention D.B. Cooper, which uh, took off like wildfire, and everybody now has been tweeting us D.B. Cooper stuff. Uh, Stephen Holder is with ESPN.com. He covers the NFL and notably the Indianapolis Colts. He is also a native of South Florida. So, Stephen, let's begin with this. I know that your family is in the Miami area. Fortunately, Miami uh, not necessarily right in the direct line for Hurricane Ian, which now apparently is a Category 4 and could uh, continue to increase by the time it makes landfall on the western side of Florida. But, um, you know, you've been through this, I would assume, or your family has. What is the thought process for you as a Florida native when you see your home state, you know, in peril and preparing for something like this? Oh, yeah, I've been through it. I think it's very familiar, and you know it's going to come at some point. Um, you know, you have to prepare for just a, a wide range of outcomes. That's the that's the hard part, you know, because you know it's coming, but I remember Hurricane Andrew in 1992. Um, I, I think I was maybe a sophomore in high school or something, and I, that storm initially was, was heading – about to the Dade County and Broward County line, right in that area. Well, I lived right there, <laughs> and so this thing, and that was a historic storm. This thing is bearing down on us, and then at the last minute, it bumps just a little bit to the south, and it, and it hits south of of the city of Miami. Uh, the the devastation was still this, you know, catastrophic, right? But it it didn't hit the the primary um, area of of population, so. You can imagine what that would have been. The point is, you just don't know, and you have to you have to basically prepare for for that direct hit. You know, and and so I did spend eight years in Tampa, and so the West Coast, this is a little different for them. The West Coast of Tampa, or that that that, that particular part of the West Coast, I should say, the Tampa Bay area in particular, hasn't had a direct hit in like I think something like sixty or seventy years, which is crazy. And I worry about the Bay. If you've ever been to Tampa or St. Petersburg, you know that the waterfront is everything, right? And there's so much, there's so much just sort of centered on the waterfront uh, in the bay, and that water pushing in from the Gulf. And so, anyway, I don't want to get into a meteoro- meteorological uh, report here, but it, there's a lot to worry about. And yeah, I, I got my fingers crossed for a lot of people I, that you know I have relationships with. So, hoping for the best for them. Yeah, we took a family vacation to Anna Maria Island, which is out in yeah. that area um, last yeah. year, and I'm just picturing Beautiful that drive place. from the Tampa airport, Stephen. And oh my gosh, you talk about exposed and the water yep. right there. And like you said, that area of Florida is not necessarily used to it, like maybe some other parts are. So, thinking about everybody down in your home state. Uh, no easy transition here to the Colts, but we'll do that. The Colts and the Titans on Sunday at Lucas Oil Stadium. I, I would say the biggest Colts-related topic of the week is centered around the pass protection issues. Steven, you know, I, I think there's a lot that you can put at for some of the issues, individual play, the mishandling of stunts, the communication problems. i probably go to that last part, and that's where I think Colts fans have a little bit of, like, glass-half-full optimism to me, the biggest problem with protection right now revolves communication. And I would like to think that Matt Ryan's 15 years of NFL experience, Ryan Kelly's seven years of NFL experience, they could get that figured out. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I think that the the unblocked rushers is just completely mystifying to me, right? 
you know, how is this happening with the veteran center who's been to the Pro Bowl, um, a, a quarterback who's been the MVP of the NFL? I mean, of all the concerns we had about Matt Ryan, <laughs> diagnosing blitzes certainly wasn't one of them, right? And and I think the thing that, that makes this a little more, uh, I guess, hard to stomach is the fact that a lot of these things have not been you know, sort of brand-new exotic blitzes. There have been blitzes that they, they knew were coming. Certainly, they try to disguise them. Let's, let's be clear. It's not as if the defenses are just telling you what they're going to do, but, but they should be able to pick this stuff up. So I really can't put my finger on why it's not happening, but I agree. I think there is a justification for a, a glass-half-full approach here. Because these guys, I do trust them to figure it out. And and we've also never seen this from the Colts, you know. They have done a pretty good job of this in the past. It's not something they've struggled with. I, I do think having new members on that offensive line is – we knew that there could be a downgrade in their performance, perhaps. But I don't think we appreciated the the change in continuity and synergy among that unit. Ryan Kelly kept telling me in the, the locker room last couple of weeks, he said, you know, we're, we're not playing as one. We don't, all five guys are not playing as one yet. Why is that not happening yet? I don't know, but, but I do agree that they can get there. And if they do, that changes the game. Steven, when you look at the Colts and where they are right now, which of these statements do you think, you know, at Thanksgiving time, we're going to look back on and realize to be more true. A, Kansas City was not near as dominant as we thought, and therefore the Colts defeating them kind of water found its level there. Or B, Jacksonville's a heck of a lot better than we thought, and the Colts getting embarrassed down there was then not as embarrassing in the long run. Mm-hmm. This is tricky. I, I I actually think that Kansas City, had they eliminated the mistakes on Sunday, Kansas City could have put 40 on the board. Now, I could have said the same thing about the Colts in week one. But Kansas City lost that game in much the same way as the Colts ended up with a tie in Houston, if that makes sense. you know, I, I thought they were much better than, than what they displayed. Uh, the Colts had like, like 500 plus yards of offense in Houston, right? Uh, Kansas City had so many opportunities they just didn't capitalize on, and they just gave so many uh, or made so many mistakes that they they enabled the Colts to win that game. So uh, I go back and forth on Jacksonville. I really like what they're doing, and and I I, I will answer a question here at some point. I'm rambling. But I I think with Jacksonville, we still need to see a little more, you know, because there there certainly were – well, beating the Colts is, is not big news anymore for them, right? And then going to, to L.A. and beating the Chargers, that was incredibly impressive. However, I do think the Chargers were not themselves, right, for a number of reasons. Certainly their quarterback was Right. So let's let's see Jacksonville keep it up. Let's see them keep it up. I, I, I'm optimistic, though, that they're much better. So I, so I think – I still think that Kansas City is going to be is going to be pretty good. I still think it's going to be they're going to be pretty good, but it is going to be harder. They are they're having to win in a different way this year. So, but I lean toward the I lean toward the the, um, the you know Kansas City uh, being the team we think they are, or at least largely the team that we think they are. Yeah, I think we probably expect Kansas City to still win the AFC West, but if for some reason they don't, 
that could be a rematch at Lucas Oil Stadium if the Colts mm. win the AFC South uh, to open up the wild card round of the playoffs. Stephen Holder from ESPN.com. He's with us here on the Payless Slickers Hotline. Stephen, I know you and I and, and you know, some of our colleagues, we had a lot of Shaquille Leonard discussion, not only with Frank Reich, but just kind of amongst ourselves on Friday. Jake and I were talking yesterday about it. And I, I think from day one, it's been a very confusing injury situation. It's been complicated. I mean, Shaq said it in May. I think I'm done with surgeries, procedures, whatever you want to call it. A few weeks later, he's having back surgery. Um, I guess to summarize everything, do you feel like this is where you would put it right now? Shaquille Leonard is not comfortable playing at 80 or 90%. If you had to sum it all up, is that where we're at right now based off the four weeks of practice he's had in a row now and how he views himself on tape versus, you know, past years? Yeah, it, it sounds like he doesn't feel like himself. And and I think that is, I think that's basically the same thing you're saying. And so the question then becomes, you know, how much, how much further does he need to go to get to where he's comfortable? And, and, and I, I do think the one thing that we, we, I think did learn is that, a lot of this is being driven by by Shaq and how he feels, and, and it's still a, a collaborative decision to to borrow the phrase from from Frank Reich. But it does seem as though they're they're listening uh, to Shaq in large part here, and and they said, look, he knows his body, and I also think that this is a this has been something he's been dealing with for so long, which goes to the point that you just made that I actually don't blame him if, if his approach is that, look, I, I don't feel like myself just yet, then it's hard to blame the guy for not going out there and saying I'm going to play anyway when he's been dealing with this issue for, according to him, like three-plus years, right, or some some sort of form of, of lower body pain in some fashion, right? So I, I get it. And then, so the next couple of weeks are interesting for the Colts too because I think – we can, I think we can say without even having seen what happens this week, we can say it's, it's probably going to be a close call again, right? And, and if he doesn't play on Sunday, then I wonder what's the point of, of trying to make a go four days later in Denver. So there's a, there's a two-week window here where he can really get two weeks of work under him, get some rest as well, and, and be ready to go after that little 10-day break after the Broncos. I don't know that that's how they're going to handle it, but I'm just saying if he doesn't play this week, that's probably where I would come down on it and and just try to get through. But, boy, could they use him right now. There's no question. Uh, the defense is starting to come around, right? And, and I think you can those imagine. Those turnover numbers are a little quiet for their standard. That is the thing. That's the thing. Uh, this team averaged almost two turnovers per game last year. And so to only have a couple now, you know, through three games, it's not them. That is not them. And, and that is not that was not their formula last year. Steven, I'm not making light of this at all. I'm simply quoting from the past within the Colts and injury history and the owner. What percent of Shaquille Leonard not being out on the field at this point is between the years? Oh, some of it certainly is. What percent? Uh, hard to say. I, I, I think I think it's it's a decent size percentage and, and um, so th- so that folks listening don't get it confused that's not me yeah. or you saying that it's that he is that it's an intellectual or a like mental health issue as much as just right. psychologically feeling comfortable and and not being hesitant right about your body yeah 
Yeah, and it stems from from something Jim Mercy has has said in the past, uh, specifically about Andrew Luck at one point when he was was going through some things, uh, rehabbing that shoulder and and getting confidence back in it. And I I think there's nothing wrong with that. I think you you just said this, but I'll reinforce it. There's nothing wrong with that because I think it's it's absolutely true. One of the biggest things when you're coming off a major injury, you know, having surgery or whatever the cut, whatever the case might be, is regaining confidence in your body and in your ability to do what it is that you do. Uh, you know, what these guys do is is hard, okay. And and when you have to do it after after having you know sort of a uh, a, a major injury, you know, you're asking a lot in terms of a from a confidence standpoint. You're asking a lot of them. You know, to go out there and and to overcome that. So there's that's a process. That is a process. And and I think the thing you have to understand, particularly when you're dealing with with nerve issues and and things of that nature, is the the big thing that Shaq had to deal with here is regaining his strength in his lower body. I mean, if you talk to people who have who have had similar issues, they feel they just don't have any strength. You know, and that's one of the issues that he just had to overcome. Uh, that was a big part of the the late summer uh, process for Shaquille. And so now it's a matter of also getting his legs back and, and being the player he can be. I, I'm not surprised in retrospect, now that we know more about it, I'm not surprised that it's taken this long. And then when you factor in, as you just pointed out, the uh, the mental aspect of it, that it, it's understandable that this has been a long process. Stephen Older from ESPN.com. He's with us here on Kevin and Query. Uh, Stephen, through three weeks, has there been a better Colt than Grover Stewart? That guy, let me tell you. I mean, you talk about somebody who who can maybe ask for a contract renegotiation. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it's him. Right. Kenny yeah, Moore I, needs to take a look at him and see and see how he's playing. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you something. You know, we we came into this year thinking this was going to be the year the pass rush really took off, and and we did see. I thought a really impressive pass rush against Kansas City, but you know what's happened? the The rush defense, the run defense, I guess, uh, has been spectacular. I mean, I, there were some. I think if you look at it statistically, maybe it doesn't look amazing, but I think the eye test tells you, right? There have been a couple of long runs that have gotten out, maybe the first couple weeks, but they've shut it down, and and they have really been uh in the backfield just consistently and the guy who's there more than anybody is is grover stewart uh this is and and maybe this is one of those things where you know we talk about positional value right maybe the nose tackle isn't the most important position and we, we hear this a lot with quentin nelson and 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 maybe even jonathan taylor right the, today the, the running back is a little bit de-emphasized i mean Whatever, right? Whether you agree with those takes or not, that's not the point. The, the point is, I think if you look across the board, nose tackle is probably not the highest priority on people's list. However, when you talk about disruption on the early downs, what you do is you get exactly what the Colts need for this defense to work properly, which is third and long, second and long, third and long. And he's helping them create more of those so in that respect, he has a lot of value, and I think it's a, it's a great development for the Colts. Grover Stewart played collegiately at Division II Albany State. I'd like to know between Mark Dykton, Kevin Bowen, Stephen Holder, which of you can tell me the mascot of Albany State University? Oh, uh, the kitchen sink oh. wings. Okay. Mark, your guess? <laughs> it's not Pirates, is it? I don't know. Hey. 
It's not pirates. East Carolina, uh, right? On that. The frogs. Yeah, Let's go frogs. The, the frogs. Yeah, sure. Why not? I remember when they drafted them. I was like, I have never heard of this school. It's in Albany, so I, Georgia. I know about it because my wife's family is from that area, but that's literally the only reason. And I think some of their family attended the school. Otherwise, I'd have no concept of that school. Golden Rams. Sure. The Golden Rams. So my question is, Stephen, Grover Stewart, was it anticipated when he was drafted as a fourth rounder that he would be a golden defensive tackle, or is this literally the definition of a guy that, you know, in other words, how is a guy like this who has turned out to be, I mean, you know, what you're talking about with him, from a Division II school, is this just late bloomer? Was there something in the past and did the Colts envision that it would be this good for him the way it's all come together? Well, I'm glad you asked because I, I, I have done reporting on this in the past and, and gotten to know Grover Stewart a little bit, And but who, by the way, is delightful, okay? <laughs> Let me tell you. He is he – is, you get the yes, sir, no, sir. Like, yeah, you get that. He is he is the southern – you know, the, the, the t- prototypical uh, South Georgia guy. But anyway, he – is definitely a late bloomer to some extent, but that's because he was always a project, to be honest. And I think with those guys, it can go either way. Sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. To Grover Stewart's credit, he put in the work to ensure that it worked out. And if you look at Grover Stewart today versus the guy who was drafted, if you look at him physically, he's a different guy. Now, he's still huge and can block out the sun, but but he is not the same guy. He's revamped his diet mm-hmm. and really done a lot of work there. Uh, I think he said he dropped like something like 25 pounds or something. Well, that's a lot, even for a big guy. And he worried that maybe he'd lose some of his power. And and I don't think that ten, I don't think that turned out to be true. What what did turn out to be true though is that he discovered just another level of quickness and speed off the line, and that is really what these these offensive linemen are struggling to cope with right now. So I, I think the, I think the ability was always there, uh, but I, I don't know that he always had the same tenacity and he certainly didn't have uh, the, the, the physical part of it that he had to develop that. And so now you've got a really strong guy who has, has reworked his body and now has just a, has limitless confidence because He's out there, and he's done it, and he's proven it. And, I mean, you, he's just – good luck to those interior linemen right now because he is just – he's putting up highlight moves on these guys right now. And I think it was a good point you brought up, Stephen. You know, he signed that extension in 2020 and has ascended as a player since then. You don't I love often that. see that. And the other thing to note is I think he plays a position where guys hit their prime kind of late 20s. I think interior defensive linemen, it, it is kind of at this age that Grover's starting to enter – where he hits his prime. And I noticed, you know, in camp, Gus Bradley, someone asked him, you know, has anybody surprised you? And he mentioned Grover. You know, and I think when you think about defensive tackles, you think of space eaters. You don't think of super productive in the backfield making, you know, tackles for loss. And, you know, usually guys behind them are cleaning those things up, but Grover's doing that. Uh, last thing I want to get to before we let you go, Stephen, um, I think a big credit to Gus Bradley for what he did in the secondary on Sunday. You know, Nick Cross is a guy that they handed the starting strong safety job to, and I think they looked at it after a couple weeks and said, all right, with Kansas City, we can't have kind of a boomer bust guy playing safety for us. We need a little bit more of a reliable guy maybe, a little bit more of a veteran presence. Roddy McLeod inserted into the starting lineup. 
They trust Rodney Thomas, a rookie out of Yale. I mean, they made several secondary changes against Patrick Mahomes, and by all accounts, they all paid off. Yeah, and I would add to that something that that a couple guys talked about, including Stephon Gilmore, which is that they tightened up the coverage. And and I think you saw the results of that. I mean, they, they made the windows tighter. They got hands on footballs the other day, and that's not something we've been seeing. So I, I think it's a great sign. One of the questions about Gus Bradley and his scheme just generally has been, has he kept up with the times? You know, this is not – he doesn't have the Legion of Boom, and we're not in 2013 anymore, right? The, the times have changed in the NFL. That, that's almost 10 years ago now, right? So, so he was, the question was always, you know, would he be adaptable? And I think this is a great example of him doing just that. And it's great to see because I, I always wondered, it's funny, with Nick Cross, as much as I, I understand the excitement, and I, I believe in his upside, I really do. I, I know what they see in him. I will say I was a little surprised that from day one they penciled him as in as a starter and they were just ready to roll with that. And you just almost never see that with rookies, particularly not a third-round pick. Maybe a, a first-round pick you do see that, but a third-rounder, I was always surprised that he was this unquestioned starter, not because of ability, but just because is he ready? And particularly, as you said, against a guy like Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid, who is just – you know, the master of disguise and fooling you. I, I think that was a great decision by the Colts to, to maybe ease up on that and, and maybe go another direction. You know, with the Rodney Thomas decision, you know, there, I just think that Nick Cross is a better fit at strong safety. And so they didn't want to, I think, shoehorn him in at free safety uh, when that's not the position he's worked at either for the most part in practice. So uh, it all makes sense in retrospect, and uh, I respect their adaptability good stuff steven now that we've gotten everybody versed up on the db cooper documentaries uh are you watching the Dahmer thing on netflix you know my wife started watching it and tried was trying to get me to watch it and i don't know i was on the fence so i, I guess i got to do it on my own because she left me behind so Gosh, well, are um, you worried at all that she's the one that suggested that <laughs> not, to, know, not to interfere with your relationship I, but I had mixed feelings about it. I'm not going to lie. I was like, you know, hey. I was like, hey, uh, you go to bed anytime soon or you can watch this thing all night. You know? like, <laughs> you're a little too into it. I, I was a little concerned, man. I don't know. Steven's asleep with his eyes open tonight. <laughs> <laughs> eyes wide shut at the floor, whole house. Man, you know, <laughs> it's pretty good, man. I will tell you this. It's pretty good. You know, we're I, only I'm on. I'm going to have to cave and check it out because, yeah, she's in, invariably going to talk me to death about it. So I'm going to have to know what she's talking about. Right. We're, so well, I, death I being a keyword there okay. uh we're only on episode three so if you want to come by and get caught up to speed steven you're more than welcome we'll we'll make extra pork chops for you <laughs> okay appreciate it